Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the American Rugby Show. I'm one of your hosts, Alex Corbusera, joined by former USMLR Head Coach of the Year, Rob Hoadley, and the most capped USA Rugby Eagle of all time and just announced inductee into the 2021 USA Rugby Hall of Fame, none other than Todd Clever. And guys, it's round eight. It was exciting. Lots to go on, lots to break down. I know we've got tons of thoughts to say on the round. Let's get into it. Toddy, you take the lead with the show and let's get into the breakdown. And now a word from our sponsor. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbooks experts. MLR Breakdown, round eight. What an amazing, amazing round it was. It was definitely great. The first time in MLR history that every team walked away with points. So every team lost within seven, and uh, there was some nail biters and some buzzer beaters. So we'll get straight into it. The greatest weekend of MLR action ever. It's got to be the best weekend, right? Uh, every single game, uh, less than seven points, some really good action. I, I, I like to see, again, the progressions. There was some really, really good um Tactical kicking, which we'll pick up on, and we, we we've got some clips on that. Some some good defence, you know. The, the, but there's still open, attacking, flowing, entertaining rugby. Uh, but the tightening up the defence as well, which uh, I, I love to see. Uh, I love to see the different kinds of ways you need to to win games. Uh, the tactical battles, and uh, I think it's just a great weekend for the fans. I agree, mate. I thought the the rugby was exciting. The the competitiveness of the games was outrageous. How every game kept going down to the wire right at the end. Like as a spectator and being neutral, like what more do you want? Um, LA getting knocked off on the road as well was you know noteworthy in in this competition. Tough to watch uh, from from back here on the West Coast, but you know fair play to New York and 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 I think just in general that the gap is closing on the teams. Uh, the rugby's getting like more competitive, not just the results, but the actual way the games are going. And you're starting to see some development of game plans of teams, which is exciting to see. And it, it just sets up another fantastic weekend as we roll into this week, as well as all the conferences are sort of really tightening up there as well. It, it's it's great to see. Hodes, one question. Do you do you think the closest of the games uh, is coming from uh, coaching tactics? Do you think it's coming from players? I know that four teams last week had a rest, had the bye week, so they're coming in fresher. I mean, what do you think that, uh, think of, uh, you know, such close competition within these squads? Yeah, I mean, there's certain levelers, Todd, as well, right? I mean, LA travelling, we were so interested to see the travel to New York. It's very different to playing at the Coliseum or even, you know, previously they've played uh, at NOLA and they've played at Houston, pretty nice surroundings. So that's a leveler. It's something different. They haven't experienced it before. They've had a lot of home games. Um, some teams are coming off the bye, uh, you know, 
it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. <laughs> Houston came off a bye and started slowly against Nola. Um, but again, it's combinations. It's teams finding their identity uh, and being able to build layers on as well. Whereas, again, we saw the, the play at the start of the season was, uh, it's getting better and better, right? As teams are, are spending more time together and finding their combinations. It was kind of one-dimensional, I thought, at the start of the season, which you kind of expect in a preseason, um, which it effectively was. Uh, but it's 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 great to see that. And um, also the attrition rate, right? So you're getting to round eight. There's a lot of teams with a lot of injuries, um, and and that's sort of balancing out a little bit now as well. So I know that you mentioned uh, New York playing host, and and you said the other places are nice places to play. Uh, are you saying New York is not a nice place to play? I mean, between a baseball diamond, the football lines, and uh, and that. I mean, is that what you're? Uh, you're, you're- Correct. <laughs> I'm saying that New York is not a nice place to play. It is. It is a shambles out there. Um, but you know, fair play to them. I don't want to take out away from the performance that they did on the field, but obviously the contrast of off the field is you know, unavoidable to notice that the stark contrast from playing at the Coliseum to playing at other venues, you come there, the wind, obviously a big issue exposed, uh, you know, a turf field that, you know, the lines, are, you know, are all over the place. And, you know, it is going to be a tough, the teams have to adapt and go there with a game plan that is it's built around finding a way to get a W. And I think New York are finding a game plan at home, which suits that field, which suits that environment. And it means it's going to be a tough out for anyone to go there and try and, and try and get the W when New York f- fully load their side. Cause I think the one time they lost there was that uh, Toronto game. And I think the changes and everything they made in their side that week probably affected them. But at home, um, I think the way they played that field um, really, really make them a hard team to break down. You've got to be clever what, what you do and, and how you play compared to a normal week where you just have a bit more space and the ability to sort of, you know, attack in a, in a different way. It doesn't mean that you can't go there and perform because Toronto, if you put a, a, a pink LA Guiltini kit on Toronto a couple of weeks ago, you would have thought that was LA the way they were playing. So it doesn't mean you can't do it. But it is very different. Look, we've got to talk, the reality is, you know, we went out to New York. It was a different game, a, a different venue when we played there. But it's a long journey from the West Coast. Uh, I don't know if uh, Gilcrest is paying for a better hotel than we stayed in, but <laughs> it wasn't uh, like it wasn't luxury digs. I can tell you, our team room was down in the basement. There were no windows. You could barely fit our team in there. It was plastic chairs and tables uh we went for a walk outside and there's a guy shooting drugs in a car outside and shouting at our players that's the reality of it and you get to the ground it's no exaggeration to say that some of the players uh, for LA they'll they'll see that pitch they've never played on a pitch like that in their lives like they've never played on not a grass pitch with beautiful lines and posts that's what you do when you're growing up England uh, or Australia or, or these places around the world, Ireland, some of their players are from, because that's the culture. So you get to a game, there's all these lines on the pitch, it's turf, it's not even good turf. And you've never seen it before. Uh, and it takes a while to, to get used to it. A, a lot of obviously American and Canadian players, that's just second nature to them. They've played in that. Um, so it doesn't mean you can't perform, uh, but it is something different for some of these teams. A great coach, Paul Sweetnam, uh, a great uh, Australian swimming coach. He once, uh, I heard him speak and he said, one thing that he would drill into his um, performers is, you have to outperform your environment. And I've never heard a more apt statement for American rugby over the past five years, because it's so up and down. You know, Todd, one week you're playing in Chicago field in front of 60,000 and the next 
you're playing on a, a field with different lines and turf. So to stay grounded and to perform in any situation, like if you're in the uh, SoFi Stadium play for LA, you've got to outperform your perform- uh, environment. You've got to really raise your game. But if you go somewhere that's not as good, you can't moan and complain about it. You've got to, your standard's got to be, we're going to be better than these surroundings. Now, that's a great point. I mean, I love that quote. Um, you know, the biggest thing that, that, you know, that's hard to take away from it, no matter how good those games are, what kind of highlights are taken from it, we're not going to see any highlights on ESPN Top 10 Sports Center with a, with a field like that and with an with environment like that. And that's where we need to raise the bar on MLR and, and have that of, you know what, this is professional, this is rugby, this isn't any other lines, this is what we have. And, uh, you know, th- that's whenever, you know, you have ESPN, you have, you know, sports fans, not rugby fans, but sports fans that take you serious of, you know what, this is serious sport. This is, this is a professional outfit. The biggest shame of it all is I hate that we're starting by talking about that because Rooney were outstanding and what a performance and all the, the, the limelight should go on the coaching staff, the players, the management there, because that was brilliant by them. They came up with a game plan. They executed. We're going to look at it in more detail, but hats off a brilliant, brilliant performance by Rooney. First game that we're going to break down, NOLA 28, Houston 26. One of the nail biters throughout this uh, this round eight. This definitely great round of eight. Um, Hose, what did you take from that one? Well, again, uh, you know, coming into the game, you you still got to look at like Nola have Robbie Coleman out. Uh, they have JP Duplessis out. They have Carl Mayer out. These, these are massive cogs uh, in the Nola machine. Uh, and again, we talked last week about does that affect the way they want to play? Like they've got a very expansive wide game normally. Um, under Nate Osborne, who coaches them really well to get into the wide channels. Um, and it was interesting, they opened up and they were moving the ball really effectively. Uh, and what they like to do is then they like to hit uh, Dev Short out wide and Cam Dolan out wide, being those extra threats against sort of retreating defenders at that point. You know, those big tall bodies and get their hands free, offload uh, and create opportunities out wide. Um, and it was going really well until... Cam made a beautiful line, beautiful break through the middle, forced an offload, and it was a turnover. Uh, Dev Short had space on the right-hand side, but that last pass, left-hand pass, went into touch, and it was a turnover. And you're thinking, they haven't been finding um, as much uh, success in, in this style as they have in previous years, now over the past few weeks. Um, and you thought, wow, is this going to happen again? But you know what happened? They scored two line-out drive uh, tries, Um and then they scored a first phase try off a line out where Guilherman makes the break and plays Dominguez. It ends up being a penalty try, which we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Um, their first phase tries. So again, it's not the old Nola way of going through multiple, multiple phases, the defence tiring and they find the space. But that's great for Nola because they will get it going in those wide spaces and they will welcome Robbie Coleman, who's the maestro in conducting that back. But they're finding other ways to score. Uh, and at that point, you know, 21-9 up um, and you're thinking geez Houston are struggling here because Katashvili was yellow carded for the, the penalty try uh, they lost Albanoz uh, soon after they lost Erasmus and you're thinking well they're done and then all of a sudden it was the Boyer and Balakana show <laughs> I mean wow was that good to watch 
That was absolutely lovely. I I, I love the way that they uh, Houston came back into the game. You know, two fantastic tries off of off of scrum. You know, on their own twenty two on the right hand side. And the ability to go wide and, and get the ball to, to Balakana, who, you know, either given an edge and, and makes a break or, you know, finds a way with the chip through and 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 his try off of those wide tries, I thought was very impressive. And to see Houston sort of add that to their game was fantastic. The way Boyer is supporting on that inside, you know, seeing it twice, you know, it's something they've practiced and it's something, you know, they, they've got out there. You see it once, you're maybe not 100% sure, but you see almost a very similar scenario happen twice and they get a good result off the back of it you know you've got to credit Houston there with both of those tries yeah and just just an interesting uh, an interesting point there as Houston came back into the game they, they obviously scored the try just before half time which sort of changed the momentum so O'Neill went off in the second half but they were actually still having success at the line out which is pretty incredible and it's something that Nola are, are going to have to have a look at especially you know when you've got Cam is one of the best line out forwards in the league but it was, it was interesting that Houston was still having some success there I thought Boyer, Boyer, who's been an absolute sensation for them. Like, obviously, he scored. He's he's working and setting up the tries, but Boyer's tactical kicking was unbelievable. Like, he was turning. Uh, you know, he's got an inexperienced forward pack with all the changes, but he kept turning Nola and making them retreat, and they were struggling in the lineout. So I thought Boyer was excellent uh, across the board again, and he he's changed he's changed that team really. Um, but they. Uh, just when you thought they had it and they took the lead, it was a kick chase. And uh, Dominguez, who's an absolute threat all game, makes the break. Guilherman, uh carries it on. Uh, it ends up being a, a penalty conceded on their line. They tap and go and it's a pick and go try. So again, for, for Nola, they end up scoring two, three first phase tries and then pick and go tries. So it's not the expansive game, but they're getting it done. I, I felt Houston did so well to get back in the game, kind of blew it. And then the end of the game was crazy. Nola kicked the, chipped the ball away when they just had to hold on onto it. Houston had a chance, but they kept going wide. And you're thinking, just keep it down the middle of the pitch and try and force a penalty. But they end up they end up throwing it wide. They got tackled into touch. But I mean, geez, what 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 a uh, finish! They're throwing the kitchen sink at each other. No, definitely, and it, and it shows what uh, what it meant for the Nola, you know, team and the and the crowd and. And, uh, and those players, you know, Cam celebrating afterwards with, with all of his, uh, his teammates. And uh, that's definitely what you want to see with that big rivalry down south. Yeah, and they climb back up to the top. That's the nature of the East Coast, isn't it? They, they, they lose that game and they're, they're right in the middle or towards the bottom of the pack. They win it and they're right up the top. It's just crazy. It's that, And that, that East Coast is so competitive. Austin traveled up to Boston to face New England uh, Free Jacks. And, you know, their win streak just uh, just stopped. New England came away with a 22-18 to victory. Uh, another close, close game. Uh, Hodes, what are, your, what are your takes on that game? Mate, I loved this game. This, this was quality. Because, again, it's not like the 40, 45, 37 game or whatever, but there was a lot to admire in this game. Um, and we're learning so much about these teams. Like... Austin, we, we know what they are, right? They're uh, one of the few teams with a real, real identity where we know what they're trying to achieve. And again, like strangling the life out of the opposition at 11 0. Uh, Mooneyham, Mooneyham, who was quality in the first half, Gary Gold's got to be looking at this guy, scores the first try. 
And by the way, wasn't it nice to see that uh, battle between Mooneyham and Barlow? And uh, let's be fair, Mooneyham was rinsing him out in the first half, but Barlow had his comeback in the second half. It ended up two tries to one. Love that. And again, brilliant for, for Gary Gold and the US fans. Um, but at 11-10, you don't see a way back in it for New England, actually, because Austin were just having their way. It was territory, great defence, uh, making quick breakaways when they got turnovers, um, kicking the penalties. And then 11-10, there was a brilliant bit of play where they had, a, they had a right scrum deep in their own half, which, by the way, w- w- that's not a bad attacking platform in the MLR at the moment. The way the nine can't pressure the base and you have to leave a winger back defensively for the kick, going wide from deep scrums is actually a good opportunity. And we saw that from Houston, right, with Boyer and Balakana. Um, so Austin did the same thing. They went wide. Uh, Mooneyham came off the right wing, made another great break, stepping inside uh, Dougie Fife. A couple of f- phases later, there was a really good bit of movement uh, from Austin. Off nine, he went behind one forward to another and then a short little shoulder ball and they exposed the fourth defender out, which was Brighouse, a prop, who couldn't hinge in and hit in time. And they create this beautiful line break. Then McGee had the chance to find Mason, but the offload just didn't get there. That would have been 18-0 at that point and you're like game over. And it was a brilliant bit of play that didn't quite come off. And from there, this New England team, like they are committed to the course, committed to each other, and they stick with it. Uh, and the game changed from there. Obviously, the try just before half time was absolutely critical. Um, but New England, when we're talking about that identity, they made more tackles again, less carries again. They, again, scored from early phases. Um, some great set-piece work. That first try... Uh, was over the top of the line out to Poland and he's gone 10 meters. By the time Poland's run 10 meters, he's got eight meters in 10 meters away from him. <laughs> it's a bit of an unfair task for a hooker at the back of the line out that, but good analysis. Uh, and then they spin it wide and Barlow gets his first try. So again, almost like um, changing the momentum in the Nola Houston game, uh, that really changed the mentality going into half time. And I think it was those two two crucial parts of the first half where Austin missed their their chance to go eighteen nil, uh, and then New England got the try just before half time was pretty critical. Yeah, I thought the way New England struck back with those tries on on the sides of half time uh, w- was fantastic. You know, Ryan Martin side they always have a little trick play or something up their sleeve at the line out or somewhere that they've seen, and I and I just thought that was really well. Worked. You know, Austin like to compete and, and back at the set piece too. So you've got line out jumpers going off there, which mean that the chance, like that is the channel that if you can expose that tail gunner there with the overthrow, I thought it was beautiful. I thought Poland did so well to keep the ball alive. Um, you know, the collision with, yeah, w- yeah Maggie, uh, with Will McGee, I think it was, who was at 15. If he could have shut that ball down there, who knows what would have happened and it might have given Austin time to scramble and defend, but then the ability to keep that alive, get it to Barlow. And, and like you said, I thought Barlow and, and Mooneyham's head-to-head was fantastic all game. And especially in the first half, I was thinking, wow, Mooneyham's really taking it to him. But it was great to see Barlow get get an actual opportunity one-on-one. Yeah, it was close range, hard to make a tackle there, but a fantastic finish. And and, and I just thought the Free Jacks, you know, the fight in them, the dog in them, uh, to keep coming. I thought the yellow cards really hurt Austin. A little bit of change in their set piece, losing De Chavez, uh, De Chavez there for a while as well. Weren't quite able later in the game to get the scrum dominance that they've had in other times, which is able, you know, help them sort of 
you know, seal games out, kick the corner, get more moles. It kind of, if they could have turned that screw there, they might have done the usual Austin sort of steriliser routine of, of just finishing that game out. You know, it was entertaining to watch. Um, and, and, and I think you gotta you got to pre- uh, give a lot of credit to, to the Free Jacks for sort of finding a way and to fight their way back in there. And Austin as well, that, that's that's a road trip. That's a long way to go. It's not an easy game to travel. And and and, and they looked pretty, pretty, you know, still look pretty sharp out there. And they did rotate some players and, and you know, not play McIntosh and a, f- a few others, you know, came in off the bench, which is the change for them as well. Um, you know, I, I, on a whole... I thought it was a fantastic game to watch. Uh, I thought Austin were unlucky not to win it, even though. And then I thought the Free Jacks did phenomenal to fight back and get another home win and stay undefeated at home too, which with a crowd there, a bit of buzz, um, I, I thought was a, f- a fun scene to watch. Just an- another couple of points there. Uh, the yellow cards obviously hurt Austin. You're talking about the rotation and s- s- McIntosh being out and a few, a few other things, but the yellow cards obviously hurt them. Yeah. But another thing that hurt them was the the touch judges penalty against Don Bailey I I didn't get that so I couldn't see I'm not sure which New one England there. kicked ahead uh, and the touch judge stops play and says that uh, Bailey put a shoulder in on the kicker I mean I, I, he didn't like he, he he may have slightly pushed him but it didn't look anything too bad he definitely didn't put a shoulder in and the, the ref's mic wasn't quite working so we're not sure but to me that looked like a rough penalty and and then uh, New England got the field position from which they scored a try I think from the scrum where Poland went on the loop it's a beautiful play where uh, Poland makes the first pass goes on the loop so what they do is they get the two playmakers in a wider position so as Poland goes wider and becomes a first playmaker like 10 15 meters outside the scrum he then plays out the back to Boyle so he, he started at the 10 position. Now, now Boyle's a playmaker from 15 metres outside where he started. So when they try and put blitz and put pressure, you've got the most skilled player, Boyle, who, again, we keep repeating, is high up there on assists in the league. So he can catch and pass, hold his feet, so he doesn't get a man and ball tackle. And he creates the space for Barlow to sco- yeah. score in the corner. Absolutely. So again, really well worked by those uh, Ryan Martin and that, those critical halfbacks. They're very influential, those two halfbacks for New England. But it came from a very interesting uh, decision from the, the the assistant ref. Yeah, that that's a lovely play. Yeah, Th- this is one of the issues in the MLR is no TMO, uh, especially when the ref mics are down or, or glitchy. With no TMO, it can make it very hard to have any idea what's going on. And I feel for the commentators as well, who I'm pretty sure are in a in a booth in Austin or whatever, watching it on on a screen, and and obviously. They can only do so much if the ref mic's not working as well. But yeah, you're bang on with that Barlow try. The way that they used the 12 off the ruck um, and then did the wraparound with the nine, went through the hands, um, and then you got Boyle at the back, and then you've got Waka in that wide channel too, who's a great distributor, has a great pass and running threat out there. And and, and it's a really well-worked move and and you know a great, great try from the Free Jacks. And then I thought, obviously, the Conradi try as well off the off the mall was impressive for them getting in there um, and then making the break. And if you break off the mall you've, you've, and you're five meters out, you've got to get the try. Like you, you, you're exposing your team for a potential turnover if you go off on your own there. And I thought the ability to, to get to the 10, to then fend the other defender and then get over the line, that was a good little finish there as well. And, and he's been impressive for me for the free jacks, bring a bit of physicality and, and um, you know, oomph that they need in that pack yeah. a little bit as well, especially with the back line that they have. I, I've been very impressed with him as well. Yeah, he's fun to watch for sure. And that's two 
Uh, Defensive-minded sides don't mind having less of the ball. They'll compete hard at set pieces and they've got tough packs. Uh, and I think that's a great way to build your organisation. Uh, and then you, you, you've got the playmakers on the back of that. But you've got great foundations in both of those teams. This week's American Rugby Show is brought to you by Gilly's Legendary American Lager. A light American lager this crushable doesn't come along every day. Let's find out. I stand by that statement. A buzzer beater. Atlanta at the death of time, 80 plus minutes into it, took on Toronto, winning uh, 33 to 29. What a finish! You know that was uh, that was unreal. What do you think, Hodes? Well, oh, another one. I thought Toronto had done it. I thought they'd come back, and then uh, we had a sting in the tail. But another another great game. So this ATL uh, defence really well drilled by uh, Scott Lawrence um, uh, and Toronto. We've seen them in previous weeks put up cricket scores. Cricket scores. Is that even a reference in America? Uh, baseball <laughs> scores? I don't know. Basketball scores? I don't basketball know. Scores. I've been here long enough. Sorry to, to all our millions of listeners out there. Um, so uh, Toronto want to play this style, right? Where they're running these beautiful shapes we've talked about. Uh, they get, they've got the best four-man, five-man shapes from 20, 25 metres to touchline rucks. Where they're, they're, they've got lead runners, they've got men out the back, they're bringing Montero in, um, Mieres and Leve stepping, but they couldn't do it. Now, why couldn't they do it? Because Atlanta were getting through to the second level of defence. And I want to, sh- before we go into the LA game and how Rooney constructed their defence, I really want to go through some clips on that. Um, but for now, let's understand that Toronto had less time on the ball and couldn't get through their shape. So let's look where the Toronto tries came from. Try number one was a charge down. Try number two was just a loose pass, a turnover. Try number three uh, was a chip where they went over the top of the blitz first phase. A beautiful try that went out to Levas. Um, try number four was from multi-phases, but they were all close phases in pick and go where they've taken the line speed away. So they didn't have basically any success against the ATL line speed. Now, if you're a line speed team, it doesn't mean that you can just come up in in phases and cut them behind the gain line and that's a success. They still conceded four tries. (laughs) So there's many different... You've got to be able to stop the drive if if you're a blitz team. You've got to be able to um, counter against kicks. Uh, You've got to stop the pick and go. So it was a... Again... Not taking anything away, I love the ATL defence, but you've got, to, you've got to find ways of stopping points and they still have four tries scored against them. Yeah, so one really interesting point as well with Toronto, I felt that when they were exiting, they were kicking infield. So when you do it consistently, it's not like they're just missing touch. That must have been a tactic. But I, f- so I, I wonder if they felt they wanted loose field against that ATL uh, uh, defence or they thought they were fitter. It's something we, we used to do at Wasps, uh, you know, 100 years ago when I used to play there, is we would always kick in field because we felt we were fitter than the opposition and we wanted higher ball in play. But to me, it backfired because if you look at the um, ATL try where O'Keefe picked up the loose ball uh, and beat a couple of men to the corner. O'Keefe, by the way, is just on fire. He, he's so important to ATL. He's brilliant. But that uh, the ball in play there was 1 minute 50. Um, 
Toronto uh, had taken a quick throw in there. They kicked in field a couple of times. They had established some field position, but then they made the mistake uh, and O'Keefe picks up the loose ball and scores. It, it happened later in the game as well when, when Montero played from deep, from the right-hand side. They passed the left-hand side. All your forwards have to retreat. You take another couple of phases. You're getting more and more tired as that happens. Then they kicked in field from there. And the first kick chase tackle they made was on their own 22. And I just felt that they were inviting so much pressure onto themselves in the game. And it was, it was, it was draining their energy levels. Uh, I mean, at halftime, ATL had 72% pers- uh, territory and had run 525 metres versus 264 for Toronto. So, you know, again, you know, you hate saying this every week, but Toronto aren't at home. They haven't got the home comforts. They've played eight games in a row. They haven't had a bye week. So was that was that sensible, keeping the ball on the field? Was it a tactic of theirs? I don't know. Or did it just play out like that? But I thought it hurt them in the game. Mate, I agree with your assessment of everything. Just looking through my notes. Um, mate, I, I can't get over how good O'Keefe is for Atlanta. Like, considering yeah. they picked him up late and this guy was just yeah. floating around the league, you've got to be thinking teams are looking at themselves going, man, we might miss a trick. We're just not even looking at this guy. He, his X factor, his, his strength in carrying, I think especially on that turf field as well, where it's a bit of a faster game, re- really comes to fruition. Uh, I agree with you. I thought that, you know, Atlanta were winning the tactical exchanges of the game and that was giving them the control and the win. But the, the creativity from Toronto to find other ways to score, to get back into the game. And then I, I thought they'd wrestled it. Like we, we talked about every game, you know, it being close. And this one was just outrageous. The way that Atlanta swung it back at the end. Um, great advertisement for the sport. I thought that, um, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of Dam at eight, you know, to find a homegrown player in Atlanta, you know, who gives you some of those carries in that gain line. I think Atlanta are a tough team when they get down to that 22 and you've got a number of ball carriers. Yeah, you have the ability to, 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 to then ship it out wide still as well. Um, I, I'm a big fan of what they're doing there. I thought defensively, the line speed was fantastic. I thought Toronto got a bit creative with little kick over the top, which I can be an Achilles heel to, to a team that likes to fly off the line speed as well because you, you can potentially leave some space behind. But on, but on a whole, uh, this game could have gone either way. Like it, it could have. Like it, again, we could say that about every game, but it really comes down to like small moments and, and who you know converts or opportunities. I thought Toronto left a lot of opportunities out there, especially in that first half where they might have had... Um, you know, chances to actually create something and stuff that we've seen from them all season. But you got, like you said before, you've got to credit the Atlanta defense for the ability to shut down a team that has been so creative and expansive week to week and really take that away from them is, is a big win. And and if anything, if you're Atlanta, you're probably kicking yourself that you allowed Toronto back into the game once it looked like you had absolute control. Yeah, well, I, it was interesting. I felt like Toronto were... Uh playing simpler rugby in the second half. They were going more one out, more pick and goes, more power plays. And we'll talk about it later, but LA did a similar thing against Rooney. Uh, and LA even went to uh, a full line out and bomb, which we've never seen them off the top and bomb because the line speed was taking their options away and the playmakers were feeling the pressure. Uh, and, and actually Toronto, how they got back into the game was getting to the game line quicker rather than trying to play the wider, deeper shapes against that style of defence. So that was pretty interesting. And then the end of the game was just carnage, wasn't it? You thought Toronto have got it. Then they had a two-minute defensive set. Uh, They gave away two attacking uh, 
penalties at the end of the game where you think they're killing the, and they get, gave attacking sealing off the ruck penalties. And you know, after all that hard work to get in, you know, it was uh, God. They must be heartbroken. But but fair play to ATL for pulling it back. No, without a doubt. And with ATL, I mean, you saw again, you know, what it means to them and uh, and good old Deacon, you know, going over and you know, in front of his home crowd, in front of his uh, sort of alumni and sort of that. It was uh, it meant a lot to him, which was uh, which was a great result. But it was that you know, smash mouth of. You know, who wants it more and, and every blade of grass matters. So uh, all credit to, to that side. Yeah. And again, ATL, how do they get their tries? Drive, eight pick from a scrum. Damn, who's done it a couple of times. Uh, O'Keefe from a turnover, picking up the loose ball. Uh, drive, uh, phase one, uh, and then a pick and go at the end. That's what ATL are about. Defend hard, uh, get in the right areas of the field and then play simple rugby. Um, and they know what they're about. And, and just a, a note on that as well. A very, very important thing for him. I think he's out for the season. Uh, but Kirk Coleman, maybe add, if he slotted back in, he would add something to the attack there. I think he's out for the season. Um, but again, when that happens, something like that, maybe you have to change your style of coaching slightly and be more pragmatic. So as Kura's in there, he's kind of third choice because I think Van Schalkwick's out as well. Um, so with you've got to play the ca- cards you're dealt. You know, at the start of the season, you want to play a certain way, you recruit a certain way, and you coach a certain way. Uh, but sometimes your hand is also forced. Uh, and as Kura is also a great running threat, uh, he's put in the right areas of the field. And uh, again, I think uh, they, they're really squeezing every ounce of uh, quality out of that group at the moment. The DC Old Glory Boys were on their Western Conference tour. Uh, last week, obviously, they were at the Coliseum. They went to Vegas to train for a few days, then made a road trip out to Utah to uh, face a packed. What a great crowd that was in Utah. Uh, a thriller game. Unfortunately, they came up short. Utah 34, DC 33. Nail biter 80 plus minutes in for the win. Another what a what a game! I mean, the crowd was was absolutely on their feet. I mean, it was brilliant. What do you think, Corbs? I, I thought it was awesome. I, I I'm buzzing about every game this weekend. I thought they're all spectacles in their own right. All had excitement. This game had a little bit of everything. It had crowd. It had atmosphere. It had some high flying, fantastic rugby from both sides that looked to play and expansive in the wide channels at times. Um, you know, I think DC did a great job of sort of regrouping and, and bouncing back after a tough game against LA last week. They came out, looked like they wanted uh, to play. They they were actually looking like they were getting the better of some of the exchanges. Then that whippy intercept sort of changed a little bit of the dynamic of the game. Um, and, and then I thought, you know, the Tanana Roberts looked great out in the wide channel for, for Old Glory, setting up a Fraser try, scoring another one himself. Um, and then as the game unfolded, you know, the forwards of Utah uh, looked strong. Fontaine, you know, physical. The mall looked like a little bit of a weapon. And then it's, you know, Utah with, with Mika Kruse out wide. Uh, I, you know, they have so many threats. And I think that when they were chasing and trying to find a way to win that game, they kept possession. They go one way and then all of a sudden Schulte sees that, you know, 
They've been attacking condenser defense. Let me swing it back the other way. You give it to Mika Kruse. You expose a nice little sort of disconnect in the line. And that's the game for them. And, 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 and I think it was entertaining. I think both teams probably defensively could have done a lot more to shut down. It was a little bit of a, you know, attacking friendly sort of game, which is a little bit of a theme when you watch Utah. A lot of their games are just shootouts and sort of back and forth scoring rugby. But on a whole, it was very, very exciting. And, you know, heartbreaking that when when Mika Kruse was was uh you know had to move on from LA this season but man look at him and Boyer like very similar to Boyer have found a place in these teams and are absolute ones to watch really sort of laying down a marker in those sides and even sort of players like Mika I think Gary Gold's got to take a look at someone like him still very young exciting 13-14 um suits that sort of team that wants to offload and, and keep the ball alive and for me on a whole Probably my favourite, most enjoyable match of the weekend. Yeah, Saturday night thriller, wasn't it? Uh, great way to finish off Saturday. Mika Kruse, by the way, he's got, a, he's got all these obvious skills. He's got a massive left peg as well, which is a real weapon, you know, especially if you put him into that 13 channel. I know you can play different cha- uh, positions out on the wing, but um, that's, that's a big weapon as well, especially when you're looking at stepping up to international level. It's a really good option. Um, agree, uh, Robert Sanana was unplayable at the in the first half. I mean, taking first phase, knocking people down from off the top line out. Um, as you said, a beautiful offload for the try, took the cross kick. He was brilliant and they were, they were looking very sparky. So we're talking about Roberts, uh, Tanana, we're talking about Cruze, perhaps some of the obvious stuff, but I do remember you saying, uh, Corbs, that last week you were going to be necking the gillies if a prop came up with any uh, nice play that you want to have a look at. And I think Angus McClellan, on the out-to-in line break. Outstanding work, falling through the gap, oozing through the gap uh, for a prop there. Uh, and later on, he he has a fall, terrible pass. He falls down, catches it, and pops it off to his mate. Um, so I think some nice moments there. If you have got any gillies handy. Oh, uh, have I got any gillies? It's, <laughs> it's, it's only 10.26 a.m. on a Monday. Seems about gilly o'clock to me. So let's just crack on. <laughs> Got the hat I find myself week. now just more trying to look for any moment for a prop so we can get called just, streak. Just to get me pissed on the pod, you know, and, and yeah. just get me yeah. loose-lipped as always. I think last week everyone, by the end of it, I was absolutely raging. Yeah. <laughs> Coming home on a Sunday evening after doing the pod, just absolutely charged. Abby's yeah. like, what have you been up to? So just having a podcast yeah. and a few gillies. But uh, yeah, for the Front Row Union love, uh, McLellan, I'm glad you picked it up. Um, I'll give you some. I'm not going to do the full one because it's an AM chug, but we'll, we'll we'll give you a fair we'll give you a fair few fingers. Yeah, I'll save that. See if McClellan's got a chip in the locker. A man of his run. word. Wait, wait. Right, it's right. I got. I haven't. I haven't trained yet today, but luckily because <laughs> Gillies is such a light, crushable American lager, it actually is a great pre-workout uh, beverage. It, it doesn't affect the performance uh, once you get into the gym, so we can have a few on a Monday morning, especially if Abby's away. <laughs> all yeah, right then, now let's uh, crack on <laughs> yeah and, and then just another thing i noticed i think the groundsman when he was cutting the grass on his nice lawnmower he might have been he might have been eating his dessert he might have had a little treacle pudding i think because there was patches of treacle all over the pitch did you see jason roberts uh jason robertson he makes the interception and he's got a clear run he gets about 15 meters hits the hits that treacle 
slows down quick and then across right. comes uh, Calvin Whiting. He ran about 20 metres further and tackles him into touch. It was an unbelievable tackle. But, um, there, and then Chad Goff makes a try-saving tackle. I mean, it, I love to see it as well. Like people just desperate to defend their try line. Uh, and I think some of the try-saving tackles is a real feature across the, the league now of like just people working relentlessly uh, uh, on the scramble defence, uh, which was great to see. Um, and again, uh, with with all the expansive play, the tries were coming early phases, you know. So Utah score uh, with a whippy intercept, uh, Fortain uh, pick and go, uh, a line out drive, uh, and then uh, the Cruze try at the end. Which I, it's, it's, obviously it was the the crescendo of a great game, but it was, it was really interesting and unconventional try because they packed down on the, the scrum on eighty one minutes uh, and twenty seconds, right? So. Firstly, you, you know you need to score the try. It's a nerve-wracking moment in attack. And you're like, you know, how expansive do we want to be? But we need to create something. You know, it's always a tough moment. But they, they were playing pretty pretty simple in the same way. And then the ball comes out to Schulte on the right-hand side. And pretty much uh, the OG backs are trapped over on that side. He, he, he dummies out to the right. And this isn't planned. But then he comes all the way back to the left. And he, he, he runs across those middle defenders. And by the time he plays it out to the left to Cruze, they've only got two backs on the edge there. They've got um, uh, Robertson, who's reset from the first tackle to get out there. And they've got Robert Tanana. Robert Tanana thinks, OK, uh, you know, th- th- there's trouble here. So he rushes up to block uh, the wide play. But in doing so, he leaves Longwell on the inside. So now you've got Longwell... And he's only on about the outside stick of the posts. And he's, only, he's got two backs outside him. There's no way that a forward or a front row especially can cover that space. So because Robert Sonana gets up too far, Cruze just spots Longwell in front of him. And Longwell had made an amazing cover tackle earlier in the game as well. Actually, you should probably have a drink there, Corbs, for Longwell's tackle. <laughs> All right, Longwell. Yeah, he, had a, he did have make a great cover tackle. I actually yeah. remember that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but then he was too exposed. And it's actually... We talk about um, how to attack against the blitz defences. Um, one way is for the playmaker to go on a 45 if the outside are coming up too hard and they spot a slower defender. Now, this isn't a conventional blitz uh, because of the way the, the, the play developed. Uh, but Cam Clark made a similar break uh, against uh, Seattle as well for a try where he, he targeted a, a forward. Um, but Longwell had no chance and it, it was a great finish by Cruze and just... Yeah, another unreal finish. And and the atmosphere, as you said, Todd, was... uh, I mean, we're so excited to see these fans back and we we want to see more and more fans into these stadiums across the country. I believe it was 3,500 fans is is what I think I heard on the broadcast. That is very impressive, man. And and credit Utah for putting on a spectacle, to having fans... To playing an exciting brand of rugby, it all all kind of comes packaged in together and it's a real credit to the league. No, 100 percent with uh, with the hard work that they're doing with the community and the outreach and, and, you know, you know, supporting youth rugby, you know, turning those rugby players into rugby fans and their families into fans. And, you know, Kimball, uh, you know, sort of old teammate of mine, of All-Americans and Eagles uh, is a GM there and uh, has a great vision for, for it. I mean, he knows that that's where he's from. That's his backyard. So for him to give back to it. It's always going to come full circle. So, so well done to uh, to Kimball and his and his whole team.
Yeah, they've recruited really well, haven't they, Todd? You know, you've got so many people for the crowd to get behind. Fortune's come in and been brilliant in the second row. Obviously, Tio and Cruz are two of the most exciting players in the league. They're unbelievable pickups. You've got Bailey Wilson, the youngest captain uh, in the league, who's going to come through, I, I would have thought, and play for the Eagles at some uh, point. So uh, there's a lot to enjoy. Schulte's controlling it really well. Basker at nine as well deserves yeah. a shout out yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, so a lot for the Utah fans to, to be really, really happy about. Uh, yeah, I mean, whenever it was uh, 79 minutes, 80 minutes, 81 minutes, I, uh, you know, if they were going to go over that line, I, my money was on either Teo, on Teo or, or Cruz then. So, I mean, you know, it was uh, my, my, my yeah, a pretty sure. safe bet. This was the big one. It was West Coast versus East Coast, L.A. traveling out to New York for the Champagne Cup. I think everybody was expecting to see some champagne rugby, but only one try scored, uh, you know, and that was by the L.A. team. But New York you know, ended up taking the victory 18 to 16. Corbs, what was your take out of that game? We, we said last week, you know, the big question mark is, you know, can anyone beat L.A.? What will happen? You know, is this, you know, are they unbeatable? All these question marks after a very good game against Old Glory. And I think, you know, reality sets in with this one. Every team is beatable, especially if you come with the right game plan, a good way to frustrate them, and you know a few other sort of luck, luck of the bounces and a few other things as well. I thought New York had a fantastic performance to shut LA down, nullified a lot of their key strengths. I thought defensively, rock solid, let one try in off a nice little eleven move that that um, that you saw from LA. But on a whole, we're able to sort of nullify a lot of the the penetration that LA usually get with using their forwards carriers that creates time on the ball, which then allows them to sort of open teams up. I thought the wind, the field. Um, other factors are definitely to be in play, but I thought sort of New York's defensive work, uh, their ability to kick well and frustrate and, and win some of those exchanges, and, and just the ability to sort of never let LA get out of first, second gear, which meant they were in the fight for the whole game and, and to get the win at the end. I, I think you've got to credit New York. As frustrated as I was, um, you know, obviously with the affiliations to LA and, you know, you could throw your toys out and say, oh, it's a terrible pitch or this or that. Take that away from it. New York deserved the W. No one's put LA under pressure or made them look like that or kept them uh, in unable in, to open teams up with their attack. And so for that, you know, New York, great win. And it, it sort of is good for the league and it's good for everything. As much as it's tough to see LA lose for me, it's good for the league in general that we have this competitiveness. And it's great for Rooney to have that sort of feather in their cap now. And who knows when these teams will meet again at some point. And it, it's just a fantastic storyline in the history of the MLR and in the history of this East-West rivalry as it unfolds over the next five years. This is the first encounter. And congrats to New York for getting that win. Yeah, no, completely agree. And and Hodes, I mean, I know that you uh, dissect games, not just this game, but other games. What uh, what were some of the things and, and some of the traits that you see uh, into this game in the league? Yeah, well, we're just trying to pick up. Obviously, everyone's been talking about uh, how can you take LA on? Um, and obviously, we, we got a bit of a masterclass there from Rooney. LA weren't at the best. But there's a couple of trends across the league. Uh, uh, and one of them I just want to pick up on... Uh, across the league before we get specifically into this game is some of the tactical and attacking kicking uh, because when you're playing against LA or when you're playing at the highest level of your of your uh, competition which LA is go- going to be throughout the whole season you have to transfer pressure and you have to create pressure which I don't think LA have felt so far 
Um, so just to take a couple of instances, looking around the league, like uh, Boyer for Houston, um, especially when they had their forwards uh, that were subbed off, their Simbin, he transferred pressure by taking a box kick from the middle of the field, putting it over the left winger, uh, putting it out to touch. They can challenge the line out and the forwards are on the front foot. In the Toronto ATL game, there was a lot of it. Uh, nine uh, for ATL Goose. He puts it on his left peg. A lovely little top spinner from uh, the 10-metre line. When you've got no momentum around at the halfway line and you're going to the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh phase and you haven't got momentum, sometimes you're better transferring pressure onto the opposition. We're seeing a lot of tries to score from first phases. Um, so if it's an organised defence in the sixth, seventh phase, you can transfer that pressure. Uh, we saw things like... Adams uh, kicking to compete, uh, a bomb going up, which LA also tried in the game. Uh, get a high one on the 22, compete. They get now a scrum. Uh, Toronto get a scrum in the 22. Uh, Bode uh, puts up an exit to compete for Toronto. They turn the ball over, get a great scrum launch. Scrum launches at the moment are, re- are really a great way to get gain line because of the, the way the, the nine can't put pressure on at the base as well. Uh, Higgins came off the bench for Toronto. He rolls one over uh, the winger, uh, the left winger, leads to a charge down in the ATL 22. He puts another one um, in from inside the ATL half and Toronto win it back. That's how they transferred pressure in the second half and winning the territory and possession battle, which got them back into the game. Then we come to Rooney uh, LA game. Carty, uh, early on in the fourth minute, Carty receives one halfway. He puts a beautiful kick in over uh, the left wing. Ryberg steams up. You don't want to see him steaming up anywhere near you. Forces a turnover. Carty gets it back. Left foot puts it over uh, Miranda. And again, now they can challenge the line out in the Rooney half. So these things are critical when you get to the big games. Now, again, there's a big focus in MLR on scoring four tries playing expansive rugby, which is great to watch, but that has to be combined with this practical element. Uh, And then coming on to Rooney against LA, one of my favourite highlights from the game uh, was in the 37th minute. So we're just before half-time. They're tired, you know, they've been committing a lot. um, And Hollingshead puts in an exit kick. It bounces, he finds space. Van der Merwe picks it up. He looks up for options. He's one of the most dangerous runners in the league. And what he sees is a line of 12 Rooney shirts. Look at that line. The middle of the line is the one, two and three for Rooney, the front row right up there with everyone else. That's incredibly hard to do physically, mentally uh, and to be trained for that. These boys were ready to give pressure on LA that they haven't hadn't felt before. Um, and I thought that one picture of the 12 defenders up in the 47th minute on the kick chase was unbelievable from Rooney. I just don't think LA have looked up and seen those pictures so far, Corbs. No, I, I agree. I thought I thought Rooney, the whole game, filled the field really well defensively. Like there was no space for 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 um for new, for LA to attack. I thought that, you know, the way that they marshaled um, you know, even off a phase or two, not overcommitting at the breakdown. They owned, they were really disciplined of when they had their shots on the breakdown in New York and they got some key turnovers and results from it. But, but I thought the way they filled the field, the way they had patience in the fence, and they just absorbed so much of what LA 
uh, through at them. I don't think LA was getting enough sort of penetration off their forward carries. Um, I thought that um, the set piece, the scrum was disappointing from LA. It was tough for me to say, but everyone will be able to see it. it was definitely a key factor that swayed the game into Rooney's hands. And then and then you just had an arm wrestle of a game. And I think LA chasing the game early on, feeling like they need to score tries, feeling like that's their identity of big scoring. Where if you look at some of the early games, they could have chipped away four or five penalties in that first half and built a little bit of a lead, a little bit of a breathing space and kept go- instead kept going to the corners, not getting reward. It was a windy day. There was some missed line outs. There was some stop malls from Rooney where they fronted up or, or an LA player broke out and tried to then get into that pick and go, but weren't getting the reward from that I I do think that the try they scored was a lovely bit of play and it was a nice variation from something they've shown before which you knew you saw Rooney were a little bit prepared for and the way that they LA adapted that by then you know playing through the line and not doing the wraparound off the 11 you know was lovely to see but on a whole um you know they never really made Rooney like the game was quite stop start the game never really got away from Rooney, which LA have done a good job. And they never really ran Rooney off their feet. LA usually like to play with tempo, quick line out, kick play. It was almost LA who were needing to take a breather and, and regroup and reassess tactically, which I don't think we've quite seen before. Add that with going on the road, uh, first or proper away trip, you know, things that we talked about earlier in the show about, you know, tough venue, tough hotels, all of these factors do play a part in it. But on the game, that has got to be a massive learning curve from LA that you can't just play Giltini's Coliseum ball everywhere you go. And you've got to have a, an ability to either, you know, come with a different game plan early on or adapt as the game is unfolding. I thought that there was definite room to kick behind um to Rooney more. I thought they were filling the field and LA were just playing key sets and key sets. I think there was a massive moment at one point where uh, it was just before half time where LA must have had 10 plus phases of attack, about 30, 40, yep. 50 out, and they just weren't getting any reward. There would be a little line break, Rooney would regroup, slow it down, and then finally they got the strip. Um, off uh, was it uh, Troy Lockyer stripped it off Charlie Lockyer, Abel yeah. the tight end then they uh, I think it was Dylan Fawcett who kicks it all the way down or something they kick yeah. it back down and all of a sudden LA are defending a line out in their, just around their own 22 after just throwing the kitchen sink at Rooney in attack not getting reward and exchanges like that where Rooney came out on the winning side of sort of just fuel their fire and the belief that their game plan was working it looked a little quiet from LA out there few key players missing JP Smith Gitto few other sort of experienced heads that maybe on the day at scrum time or tactically might have changed things on the field. Not having those definitely impacted them. But on a whole, like, you've got to credit Rooney. Saw a team that looked unbeatable, came with a game plan. LA didn't have the answer. Learning curve for LA. I thought the wind was a massive factor on the game too and how you play the conditions as well. And, and, And I just think Rooney deserve a lot of credit. As many as there are little mitigating circumstances you can maybe say about LA, uh, the the bulk of what went on there was the hard work of Rooney. Yeah, well, a few things to pick up on there. The first being Lindsay Stevens at Playmaker. I think that's probably a drink in it, Corbs. <laughs> Front row, little show and go, and through he goes, sets up the try. None of the none of the LA. Uh, <laughs> there you go. None of the Done, LA names to do it. And yeah. Lindsay Stevens created the try. Brilliant play. Absolutely, um, and you know. He obviously had big shoes to fill uh, with Mar not playing and stuff. And, and it was great to see him have those moments. The line out, the wind, I think both teams, like the reason 
we see so many set piece tries in the MLR, and I think both teams. The reason there were such few tries at times is the lineup was looked so much harder to win in that win, and it just. Yeah. I think New York overthrew a few key ones or messed up a not straight or two with Fawcett, <laughs> who's a good thrower. LA had the same issues. I think there was two in the twenty-two. I remember either an overthrow or a not straight. Key factors in the game. But uh, yeah, for, for Stevens, we definitely had that drink in there as well. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you, Corbs, and thank you, Lindsay Stevens. Oh, mate. Um, and just, um, yeah, another couple of things to pick up on. You said those defensive sets where Lockyer uh, 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 ripped the ball out. But at the breakdown, you had Gurmashies, uh, Leonard, Ellis, Rochford and Brakely all nicking ball. Uh, and and they weren't overcommitting at other times. They were still spreading the field, but at the right times, they nicked the ball. And just to, to lead into that, defensively, you, you said that LA couldn't play their shapes, much like ton- Toronto against ATL. Well, well, why not? Because they felt the pressure. They couldn't find their flow. And again, if we look at examples from around the league here, <clears throat> ATL, similarly um, to Rooney here, ATL um, rush up and... They'll rush at 10 with the wing high outside. So they'll get through to the second layer of attack. And the, 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 the guy trying to catch and pass is under pressure and they trap you behind the gain line. So it becomes uh, a mistake to play deep into that space. Uh, and that's what uh, ATL created against Toronto. And Rooney were trying to create against uh, um LA here. Another example of that in this game, but from LA <clears throat> on about the 64th minute, Ryan James, his closing speed to go through and take man and ball, fantastic defence. You don't see a lot of young American wingers that have this in the toolbox, but it's a critical skill, especially as you go up the levels. Um, so I think it's worth mentioning that from a young kid like Ryan James, who's, who's really well, closing like a safety. And then for Rooney, we need to look at some of these examples here of how they shut the LA down. In the third minute, they went through on the, the second wave of uh, attack. So this is double defence. They leave the lead runner, the short lead runner, who doesn't hold them. Leonard can check off him from 12 uh, and then allows Miranda to make a chopped up tackle above the gain line. Uh, later on from a scrum defence, Leonard again leaves Ashley Cooper. He checks off and makes the read. And that allows Fuatai to just read uh, um, uh, Leonard's body uh, shape. And then they can connect high against the second wave of attack. LA haven't felt this pressure before. Leonard at 12 will get uh, a lot of praise for tackles and for his carries. But he's so critical to this defensive shape um, because other, other defenders follow his decisions. Uh, and this is where continuity and relationships are so important. And some of the teams with injuries and changes, they, they don't have these instinctive connections that are so important in defence. Um, another example uh, of second level swinging past Rogers, who was no threat. He wasn't running those same hard line as LA have been doing and, and sticking the inside defence. They checked off him uh, and then they can pressure Burton. This is Leonard himself this time, pressuring Burton uh, he gets the pass away, but it completely stops the flow of the LA attack, which uh, hasn't happened before. And just as a contrast to that, putting the shoe on the other foot, um, the difference here, and this is an exaggerated difference because it it's involves props, but um, this is a t- t- time when Rooney go out the back um, and the, instead of coming through to a pressure of that defence, the, the, the LA uh, attack, the LA defence actually drifts off. Now, it's two props, so it's a bit unfair and it's exaggerated. But as they drift off, 
You can see Lockyer's on the front foot rather than being under pressure, and he can just step and slice through. So I thought that was absolutely massive from Rooney, as well as when uh, LA realised that and stopped going out the back, they went more route one, they went more off nine, more power plays, like Toronto did in the second half against ATL. Well, like you say, Corbs, they fronted up to that as well, Rooney. They kept the numbers on the feet and there was one set in the second half, about 60 minutes, and they hit the front line, they hit the front line, they hit the front line, it was double tackles. And then from nowhere, who is it but Andy Ellis, 37 years old, he pops his head in and a critical penalty alleviates the pressure and they get a kick away. So we're looking at ways to beat LA. You've got to be good in the tactical elements of the game. Winning field position with your kicking game and then holding your defensive line. And that was a masterclass by Rooney. All right. And just before we wrap up the New York LA breakdown, we have a special treat. Actually, credit Hodes for securing this one. He was able to get after the big chat and the big win of New York's upset against LA. We got none other than uh, New York head coach Marty Veal on the pod for his uh, debut on the MLR breakdown. All right, we're joined by, you know, one of the men of the moment at the moment. There are a lot of new stories to take out of round eight MLR action, but probably the biggest one was what some people are calling, you know, the upset of the season. I had some worries going away to New York, knew it was going to be a tough game, but New York's dethroning of LA, taking them off down in New New Jersey in that game on the weekend. We have head coach from Rooney, uh, Marty Veal. Marty, uh, absolutely fantastic to have you on the pod. Thank you, first and foremost, but also congratulations for an impressive win. How are you feeling the day after that? And, and, and talk us through it a little bit. Oh, yeah, thanks for the uh, the kind words, mate. And it was um, a shame that we couldn't see you out east. But, um, oh, mate, you guys have been setting a standard and blowing people away. And it's um, it's just it's just been awesome watching you guys play. And um, we just had to front up, mate. And it was good to see that we've got a group of men that can um, dig deep for each other and and um, put a plan in place and execute it and come away with um, a result that I think we deserved in the end, you know, just hung tough. Absolutely. And when, when you look at, you know, from your point of view, tactics wise, you know, where are the key areas that you look to try and get into L.A.? Um, I thought defensively, you guys fronted up at set piece, you fronted up, but but strategically, like how did you look to sort of, you know, take a team that had been on a roll and a tear against everyone and sort of get them off their off off road and off piece and, and sort of fluster them? Yeah, mate, we just looked at the start of the, your games, really, and you strike to score. And we just had a real focus around set piece and three phase. We stopped that, and then we we felt that we could get real purchase out of that. And then once we once we started putting you guys in the phases, and that we we could see you starting to get lost. So um, that was our main focus, mate. Was D really going into the week and just three phase set piece, and seemed to some sometimes you're lucky, mate, and you look like a a genius, but nah. It was all down the hard work of the boys, eh? And they just mm. believed in in what we thought was right and managed to pull it off. Who are emerging as your uh, defensive leaders there, Marty? Uh, you know, there's some that sort of stand out to us watching, but but but, but for you from the inside, and are they um, contributing in terms of putting that plan together? And was one of the focuses trying to pressure the LA playmakers? Because they seem to be playing downhill so far. They, they haven't been taken out of their flow. 
Yeah, so um, Will Leonard has been a big influence in, yeah. in delivering messages, and he's um, he's really growing in the role as a D leader. Um, and we've got some other young fellas in there, uh, Connor McManus, the halfback, Cara Pryor, and, um, and Hanko. So we, we feel like we've got a good balance of, um, of men that can really deliver those messages and drive our D on the field. Mm. Um, and in terms of getting to their playmakers, mate, every week you want to get the nines and tens, don't you? So um, <laughs> try and put a number on it and put them on the ground, mate, and see if you can make it each week. But... Um, yeah, for us that yeah. doesn't change week to week. You yeah. gotta you gotta stress and piss, don't you? <laughs> Just like a good night out. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned Conor McManus there, Marty, because we we didn't get to it in our uh, review of the game, but we wanted to speak about how he closed the the, the last twenty minutes out because Ellis came off at a crit- critical moment, uh, and actually McManus drove you up the field for for the final score. So a, a word about him. Oh mate, he's he's a young man and he's still learning his craft. And game management is one of his big work-ons. And mm. oh, yeah. Afterwards, it was like, mate, why are you trying to play so fast? <laughs> I was like, just let the referee tell you when to play the ball. But um, nah, it's he it was awesome, mate. You know, he's he had a couple of moments last week that he probably wish he'd um, could have again against Seattle, and he grew from that and. And I think, Marty, big picture-wise, you, you know, your time in New York, um, obviously with a bit of change at the beginning of the season with, you know, Greg having to uh, to, to step away with family reasons, how, how are you finding, you know, the head coach role, enjoying it? How are you finding your time in New York? And, and as a team, you know, slowly starting to build something over there in the East as well. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great challenge being the head coach and um, more responsibility and looking after the program and, sending in a direction that you think's right so it's a it's a great challenge and been leaning on a few people in terms of mentorship and um well it's 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 great mate uh in terms of upper management and ownership and that they're great support staff and we added marty burke from new zealand um he's come from the bay of plenty um and he's now driving our attack so in terms of the people around mate it's awesome um, young staff in terms of our manager and Jared and RK, our trainer and Trevor, our, our medical. It's all the first rodeo for them. So they're learning and growing and we're having to help drive the, their areas as well. So it's all it's all good, mate. You know, it's a great challenge and, and we're all, you know, just really enjoying it. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked, Corbs, about, uh, you know, how you want to set up your organisation for success. And, you know, Marty alluded to that. He has been very, uh, very much spread thin and trying to cover everything. And so it's great to get uh, Marty in now, Marty Burke. And and obviously, he'd have a good relationship with Hollingshead there, would he, from Bay of Plenty, Marty? Yeah, so he coached um, Dan and Fussy last year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, they got similar language already and they, um, they just... No, it's, it's really awesome to see them working together and we're just ironing a few things out, mate, you know, just finding what's best for us and we've tried a few things and we come unstuck against um, a very good New Orleans and Toronto team and we've managed to grind out a few along the way as well. So we're just sort of what's best for this group and yeah, where can we go with it, you know? And Marty, I know you use... Um... 
a lot of like themes as well. And you're trying to attach mm. the lads to a story and what it means to be part of New mm. York. So I, I don't know how much you can uh, expand on that, but maybe a couple of little insights. Um, yeah. So we're, we're using the city and how the city was built and the people that built it. Mm. So um, yeah, we're, uh, it's what we're about, mate. You're like, how can we add to rugby in the US and, how can we be part of um, something that in ten and fifteen years' time we can go? Yeah, we were we were there and we started that, and and we can see the fruits of all our hard work, you know. So it's something that's not going to be uh, just around for one year for the organisation. It's something that we're really hanging our hat on um, for a long period of time, mate. And what it means to to be part of this organisation. So I didn't really give you anything there, mate. <laughs> no exclusives. And uh, Gary Goldgiver was a good exclusive last week, so that's all right. But but the reality is, in that that's the like the fun part of coaching and like creating a storyline that the players want to be a part of, and you create like a heightened emotional attachment to what you're trying to achieve as a group. And like you're only going to see those groups at the top of the business end of the season. Like you can see that that group, what it meant to them, these are, these are kind of, you, we speak in like generalized cliches, but I know mm. you're doing very specific work behind it and you can see that the lads are bought in. So uh, yeah. I think you're doing a great job there, Marty. No, thanks, mate. It's like, I'm not really creative in that space. So it's the people around me, mate, you know, that come up with these ideas. And we got um, a great video guy and Paul with the organization. And it's just like, bit of training and bit of this and that and then a little um you know couple of videos each week and yeah it's it quite emotional when you watch them eh? and it's like you want to wind back time all of us you know and put the boots back on and then you go out there and you get one shot on your mate and you're all done <laughs> that's it where's my trainers exactly no <laughs> yeah. nah, they're big powerful men now and you're just like oh yeah want to stay away from those contacts yeah i feel you well marty mate it's a pleasure thank you for so much for coming on the show congratulations on the big win and wishing you and all at rugby united new york good luck for the rest of the season and hopefully we'll speak to you again soon yeah thank you mate and um also good luck to you uh moving forward in the, the rest of your season as well mate and we'll, hopefully we'll see you down the road again exactly mate get that win back in the final or something be a good one have a good one mate yeah all right Cheers, yeah. Bill. Good luck uh, for the Austin game, Marty, and congrats again. Send our best to the players there. Thank you, mate. And happy Mother's Day to Ems, and, and send our best. I hope she's well. Thank you, mate. Last game of round eight. Again, crazy, crazy game. Seattle hosted San Diego. I have to admit, I came in a little bit late watching this game. It was Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all uh, all the mamas and super mamas. And Happy Mother's Day. Yeah, Jesus, have we taken this long to say yeah. that? <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. But, uh, you know, I turned on the TV, the rugby network, great coverage as always, and Seattle up 10-0. I'm like, oh, no. San, San Diego, what's going on? Again, down early, 10-0. Um, but then I was tuned in and uh, – Ties changed. San Diego went up fifteen to ten, uh, which which was great to see some competitiveness. And uh, Seattle kind of ran away with it, twenty-one to fifteen uh, to the host Seattle. Um, Hodes, what are your thoughts? What's up with the boys in San Diego? I think they've got to send reinforcements for the athletic trainers at both clubs. I mean, the busiest men there are the guys on the physio tables because you've got 
like obviously we know Legion. Legion have got Sylvia, Rob Shaw, uh, Mahoney, Nazagenge, Augsburger, Peterson, Tottenham, Lutz, Orsley, Iglesias, and I need a throat sweet after going through all of them. You've got five. You could you could debate it how you like. You've got five or six probable starters injured. Again, no matter what else is happening, if you plug your halfbacks in, you're going to win probably two or three more games. You know, possibly. You know, it's debate. But then you look at Seattle, Sears Duru, Peltzer, Herbst, Tucker, Penny, Seema, Yamada still to come, Busby, Barton, Aguirre. There's six starters there. Five of them are forwards. So they've got five forwards out. Uh, Legion have probably got four or five backs out. Um, so, like, there's not a huge disparity in the injuries there. Maybe the importance of some of them, but, you know, Seema's out uh, as the 10 for um, Seattle as well. Um so they both come in under pressure. They're battling to stay relevant in the West Coast. Um, I thought I thought it was a really enjoyable game. I thought um, uh, massive credit to Pate for what he's the changes that he brought to Seattle. They've been much much better over the last couple of weeks. Should have beaten if they could have kicked their goals. They should have beaten Rooney, who go on to beat LA. Um, and again, a, a deciding factor is the kicking in this game as well because Legion don't have any kickers out there. Ty and Osha actually put some beauties in behind, but um, Africa kicked straight out into touch from outside the 22 again twice, which he did last week as well. Uh, Carlo Donation's not like a, a frontline goal kicker. It's unfair on him, but he's missing uh, shots at goal, which cost him nine points. Um, again, they're not really box kicking at all, so it's difficult there. Um, but, you know, hugely improved defensive performance uh, from Legion, hugely improved uh, defensive p- p- performance from Seattle. Um, it was just uh, that Seattle won the arm wrestle on this. What did you think, Corbs? I thought it was two teams that actually looked better than we've seen uh, yeah. over the yeah. season. So that was like one of the first things I was like, actually, Seattle are starting to improve and, and their game plan seems to have, you know, gone back to a little bit more conservative of how they how they had played in in previous years, and it's working for them. and And I'm happy to see the changes there. And I think you're seeing a progression of them getting more and more competitive in this league. And Legion, I thought the same. I actually thought a lot of like last week's issues yeah. that we diagnosed weren't there. I just it, this game was close, and it could have kind of gone either way. I thought Ross Neal had a great game for Seattle, just showing sort of his athleticism and and how hard he can be to stop in defense. And, you know, that kind of is a difference maker before the two teams. And then I think the only thing that was frustrating, I think if you look from either point, a team's point of view, but say Legion, I believe they got, they, they, it was 15 all or so with, or it went to 21. 15, 10, 15, 10 10 up. And the next 10 minutes they imploded imploded and then eventually it got to 21 15 in the 60 something minute and then nothing like I, I i was shocked that they no one could find a way to get any more points on the board and that legion team especially you know when you're chasing the game and, and the way it was that was probably the only like disappointing thing is that they didn't have a shot to fire when the game was on the line to try and pull it back and then they didn't fire a shot at the end when when the game w- was on the line yeah, and I think they've been much more efficient uh, at the ruck. They, they had some decent ruck speed, although Seattle were really doing well leaving men on the f- their feet. Um, and they weren't creating too many line breaks, uh, although obviously uh, we mentioned earlier the Cam Clark uh, line break against, against line speed. He took the 45-degree angle, picked on a slower man uh, and bust through to Basson, who, who looks the most dangerous player on the team. Um, but that last 20 minutes, you're, you're talking about... Um, 
at 21-15, uh, they they did get into position twice and Seattle fair play to them. They got two uh, penalties uh, poaching at the breakdown uh, in their own territory and, and they, they it, again, deflated the Legion attack uh, and they got the chance to exit. So um, very frustrating for Legion because it was something to be to build on, I think. Um, but deflating again, um, Seattle just, just, they just, they just blitzed after the 15, 10, they just blitzed it and, and got, got, got away from them. Yeah. And the only thing I would probably say, which I found very puzzling at the end was 21, 15. I think the game finished, <laughs> with, it. game finished with a penalty to end the game. And if you're Seattle and you're thinking, we don't want to be bottom in this conference, you have a chance to take away a bonus point. From Madness. from from the Legion, like you have a chance just to slot that kick. It goes yeah. it goes to twenty four fifteen, and they get away nothing. Instead, you leave them with one point to come away from that game, and you know you don't know what what that's going to do in the order in the West. It's going to be close between those two in in the running. And so for me, I found that absolutely puzzling. Um, but on a whole, you know, I thought Duratalo had a great game, and I think you know for for Seattle as well, someone who probably deserves a little bit of credit. Strong at the breakdown, few key carries. Uh, good to see him getting some. In, some involvements and you know this west that those two are going to fight it out in the west now because i th- i think the biggest issue is is the you know seattle haven't looked great all season and i think legion missing some key players is going to dampen the rest of their season it's just where those two meet you know on the trajectory for the for the rest of the season who sort of surpasses who is a big question for me and that's why i thought that kick was was mind boggling I, I, yeah, I just couldn't believe it. You've got um, Alatimu and uh, Haiting there, and you think you've got enough, exp- and they're discussing it. I'm like, well, a discussion can't go long. You, you're going to kick three points, right? And they kick it. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. But um, I don't know. They want to throw points away. It seems bizarre. But um, here's a question, lads. What do you think? Um, are these two teams still in with a chance? No. I can't, you completely I can't rule them out. I, I can't see it. I mean, you know, you're trying to give them, because, I mean, the, the history between the two clubs, you know, they, they've been fighting for the shield, you know, played in the finals. I mean, you coached it. It's, uh, you know, it, it is sad to see, but I mean, that that's just the professional sports, you know, they're up years and down years, but, you know, with injury problems that they have, where they're placed now, how much more rugby there is, um, I think the gap's just going to, you know, get, get bigger and bigger, unfortunately. I I agree with Todd, and this is the reason why. Is I finally think like the Legion and Seattle are getting back on script and finding yeah. their way. But I would just say that the others are further ahead. Like especially Austin and LA have gotten further ahead with their game plan, their evolution, their layers, their defense. Um, you know, Utah are in the middle there because they're gunslingers that score big every game. Like yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like if this had happened in week two or three and we'd seen these changes and adaptions, yeah. I would still have a lot of belief. Cause I, it was only two weeks ago. I was still backing the Legion to get into the, I think it was two weeks ago or three to be yeah. a playoff side. But the more I've watched them and I see yeah. the, the issues of the injuries and that's caused, I think they're getting over that and, and problem solving their way out of that issue. I just don't know if there's enough room want to catch the rest now that they found their way back. It might happen. And I don't want to, like because yeah. I'll look like an idiot and, and they'll come back and, and hit a massive run of wins. Yeah. But that's just my instinct from watching is that, yes, they're back on track. Yeah. I just think they're too far behind. I, I agree that 
you can't just plug good players in and go on you go boys, you know, otherwise you wouldn't really need coaches or direction. You know what I mean? But you know, because Ferno went in there and the lineout was poor. Ferno's Ferno and Mitchell got to be two of the best lineout opera, uh, operators in the league. But again, we're talking about those uh, Leonard and Furtai, the connections and the time together and reading each other. Um, maybe they're lacking that. However, there's a lot of talent coming back into Seattle and a lot of talent coming back into Legion when they can get them back on the field. Legion are only uh, eight points behind Austin, right? So do you think Legion, if they get all those players back in, they could go like two weeks in a row, they could beat uh, Austin and they could beat Utah? And in and, and in the other week, those two teams could lose to an East Coast team. I, I don't know. I I wouldn't write them off. Uh, the only problem for Legion is that they've played one more game than everyone else. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously, it's a time factor and you're going to have to beat some East, strong East Coast teams. But I don't know. I, I, the talent coming back in is, is pretty phenomenal if they, can, if they can get that belief in it. You know, like next week, if uh, Legion win and Austin and Utah lose, they're like one and a half games away from them. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you. I don't think anyone's writing them off completely, and you don't want to. I mean, you want to have that excitement mm-hmm. for a league. You don't want to have, you know, the easy beats. You don't want to have the top team. I mean, even uh, you know, you look at uh, the commissioner, you know, George Kilbrew, early on saying, "I don't want a 16 and 0 team. I don't want an 0 and 16 team." If we're halfway through the season, or even a little bit further, and each team has a possibility of making the playoffs, having an opportunity to, you know, compete. And, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, I, th- I think they're there. I mean, that's two of the teams, you know, San Diego and Seattle that are infamous for, for, infamous for, for having great home crowds, having things like this. Obviously, this year is a little bit disruptive uh, with the whole COVID. But you know what? Never say never. I, I wish them well. And I wish the fans, you know, keep coming out, pouring out their support. And uh, we just want to see some good rugby. No, I um, yeah. I I think you know, if you put into context this week, San Diego didn't get a win; they got a losing bonus point, but they went away to Seattle. I think yeah. Austin and LA went coast to coast away first experiences with that, and they lost, both lost very close games. To me, those two still have a a factor uh, uh, that I don't think we've seen Legion at yet this season, like of the ability to win games consistently. And I think the big factor of the what if for me is for for Legion and and the thing that I think gives them a chance or momentum at a good run-in is twofold. Some key players coming back. Paddy Ryan's going to join them too. You know, you're just seeing Ferno off a plane in a team. More weeks there is going to improve. Injuries coming back. And the last factor, which Todd kind of touched on, is the return to Torero. And the return, finally, when they get home, it's going to be massive. It's going to be massive. They have a great atmosphere there. I've enjoyed plenty of games there. That's going to be a big bolster to the players, the organization, having proper fans back in your actual home. And maybe, maybe, Rob, what you're saying, I would say at best right now to me is a maybe. But if I'm sticking to probabilities and probable outcomes, I just don't see enough of it yet. But I, I can see a maybe argument for what you're saying. Yeah, so out of those teams, Houston um, travel to Toronto. No, no, sorry. Houston host Toronto next week. NOLA uh, go to San Diego and Seattle go to DC. So those three teams... I think they probably have to win next week to 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 stay in with a chance. 
All right, guys, you know, that's that, that's a wrap on the breakdowns for this week. Uh, but we still have a few other featured segments, so a few things to get through this weekend. And we are bringing back a return of the Gillies try of the week. Last week, we had the silky moves of J- JP Smith, which led to the try from DTH. This week, Hodes, drum roll, please. What is our Gillies try of the week? This could be none other than the Boya and Balakana show. Scrum deep, move it out to the left uh, with the right wing back for Nola, make the break down the left, Balakana with the fancy footwork, puts it over the top and uh, Boyer just supporting all day, trying to push people away to still tries like any good number nine uh, and goes back to Balakana who uh, has, has what it takes to finish in the corner. Absolutely and- sensational try. Let's crack open that Gillies. Round two, eh? Well done, boys. And... The big Lone Star State. I need my. De- I'm waiting for my delivery of Gillies. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time. But that is the Gillies try of the week. Absolutely sensational work there. I thought uh, Boyer and and supporting Bellacana. He he got a try early on from very similar sort of support line, uh, chasing that wide breakdown off the try, and then to finally get the try himself with some silky moves from Bellacana. Uh, fantastic, and that is our Gillies try of the week so thanks to everyone for listening thanks to everyone for supporting the show for subscribing uh retweeting sharing liking any of our social content we're really chuffed this is our second week on the rugby network we're going to continue to keep trying to get more video integrated into these breakdowns so we get you more sort of video of what we're nausing and talking about but at the same time keep checking out for social we'll be dropping the state of the union this week where we might be talking to a hall of famer i can't guess who it is but we'll give drop that hint there but for everyone here at the american rugby show Absolute pleasure from Alex Corbusero, Rob Holy, and Todd Clever. We'll see you again next week. Today's American Rugby Show is brought to you by ASM Scholarships. Head to www.asmscholarships.com and get your free assessment to see if you qualify for a sports scholarship to an American university. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.